This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? You know you do. And that is The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-notch podcast named Best of Apple in 2018, and has only gotten better. Jordan goes deep with fascinating people, from authors and scientists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. During his discussions, Jordan pulls out tactical bits of wisdom for you to use to become a more informed, critical thinker. You'll learn and have a good time. He's very easy to listen to. My two recent favorites are Episode 972, Mustafa Suleiman, The Coming Wave of Artificial Intelligence, and Episode 843, Ellie Honig, How the Rich Get Away with Crime. You can't go wrong adding The Jordan Harbinger Show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, and thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast, Episode 300, The Battle of Yanang Yang, the Chinese, to the rescue. Last time, after the Battle of Prome, which came just after the Battle of Shuidong, both ended as Japanese victories by April 2nd, General Slim's Burma Corps once again retreated to the north. This was matched by the Chinese 200th Division loss to the east at Tonggu by March 29th. Slim and General Stilwell had been hoping the Chinese would be able to help out at Prome after successfully defending Tonggu, but it had not turned out that way. So the question was, what happens now? For Slim, he knew the answer for the British was to trade space for time. The problem was, he was losing space fast, and now his back was touching some of the country's valued oil fields. The stakes were rising. As General Slim had his men face south to once again ready themselves to take on the invaders, he had, after Prome, 400 or so fewer men, 10 fewer tanks, 2 fewer 25-pounders, and 200 fewer vehicles overall. The only good news for the Allies was that their Stuart light tanks, though too weak to be used in Europe, were just right for the East and against the Japanese. The latter only had a few weapons that could knock out a Stuart, which were the Type 94 75mm mountain gun, a few pieces of heavy artillery, anti-tank mines, and petrol bombs. Unfortunately for the British, the Stuart's 37mm main armament was not the best for these conditions. Still, the vehicle could cover ground relatively safely, until an enemy roadblock, of course, was encountered. The counter for this, painfully learned, was that the 7th Armored Brigade, newly arrived, had to learn, as did the infantry, to stay close to each other for mutual support. If not, it was only a matter of time before another courageous enemy soldier would rush up to a tank with a petrol bomb. But either way, at the moment, the Japanese had the Allies on the run. 
Without the Chinese, read Chiang Kai-shek, or frankly the local Burmese, hopefully knowing it, GOCNC of British forces in Burma, General Harold Alexander, and Slim were trying to move their men back towards the Indian frontier. Simply as things stood now, the Japanese had all the advantages, hence a careful pullback was required. That is, until the fighting line was now near the oil fields at Yan'an Yang. It would take time to set up explosives on all the rigs, so Slim had the 1st Burma Division set up just south of town, which was itself just south of the oil fields, and all these were just on the east side of the Irrawaddy River. The four selected Japanese regiments came up from Prome, and their lead patrols made contact with the 1st Burma Division on April 10th, who were about 12 miles south of Yanang-Yang. The problem for the defenders during the day of the 10th was that many Burmese civilians were among their ranks, seemingly retreating from the war. But among those were pro-Japanese locals, or Japanese soldiers themselves, in disguise, dressed as peasants. A few times that day, a creaking cart would roll by Allied troops, only to have a hidden machine gun open fire. This increased the tension between the soldiers and the locals, not to mention the Burmese soldiers and the Allies. The next day, April 11th, elements of the 1st Burman Division made contact with the enemy. As shots were exchanged, the 13th Brigade fought off direct attacks, while the 48th Brigade had the dual responsibility of fighting off the Japanese while also engaging locals, who turned out to be enemy soldiers within their midst. At the time, the action made analysis impossible, but where the 48th was at along the line, the enemy was not trying to launch an attack so much as bypass the Indian troops to get further north. The real attack came that night. When the sun set, the Japanese, who preferred to fight at night, attacked the defensive line in strength, which included, again, the 48th Indian Infantry Brigade. Between the Indian Infantry and the light tanks of the 7th Armor Brigade, the line held throughout the night, and the Japanese lost many troops. But those would be replaced with reinforcements rushing up from Rangoon. The men and materiel lost by the 1st Burma Division would not be. As the defensive position stood, it was not a straight line. Indeed, the 48th Indian Infantry Brigade was further south. Hence, they received more attention. With the Japanese using the cover of darkness to sneak up close before attacking, the actual fighting quickly became hand-to-hand. And during this, a lightning storm's bolts lit up the sky, as if a powerful camera was taking pictures of the violence. At first, the Japanese were able to press in on the 48th, who fell back, but the armor with them allowed them to reorganize. By the time the first light came, the Indians had held off the attackers, which allowed the light tanks to then fire into the retreating troops. The Japanese, again, had lost many comrades that night, but before noon on the 12th, the defenders would find out that the attacks had been distractions. For now, sizable groups of Japanese troops of the 214th Regiment 
were behind the main defensive line and set up along the road, the Allies would need to retreat. In short order, the 214th Regiment would set up three roadblocks from south to north, one just south of the Pinchon Ford, a waterway that fed into the Irrawaddy that had to be crossed to go further north, another just above the ford, and then a third above that. See this episode's cover art. To help protect these new Japanese positions along the road, their air arm hovered over them throughout the day. The night of the 12th, the Japanese were back, yet again the darkness allowed them to get in close before the fighting started, which quickly became hand-to-hand. And as neither side had altered their fighting tactics, the night went the same as the one before. The Japanese did well at first, but as the defenders did not break and run, their tanks were able to make a difference. Still, the Allies' losses could not be replaced. These attacks would continue for the next several nights, and though Burma Corps would hold out, each night they moved back, closer to Yenang Yang. Slim had been trading space for time, but as the oil fields could not be moved, he was now trading lives for time. To take the oil field was the major objective of the Japanese 5th Army, but wiping out the defenders of Burma here and now, that would allow them to export this resource much faster. As Burma Corps fell back ever closer to the oil fields, the Chinese force, its fighting quality questionable on the Allied left, fell back as well for military continuity. By April 15th, the Japanese were close to gaining access to the oil fields, so Slim visited nearby Yanning Yang that day and had W.L. Forrester, who worked for the oil company, rig the entire place to blow. Before the day was out, seeing that Burma Corps could not make a sustained defense, Slim ordered the chargers detonated. The area became a furnace, with flames rising more than 500 feet into the air, which left smoke to just hang over the fighting men's heads. Hey everyone, Ray here. I've been using Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today. And like many of you, I think about my golden years, and I hope they're golden. I have a Roth IRA with Fidelity and another with Merrill, and I have consolidated them into one hub with Yahoo Finance. There, I have access to expert analysis to help me stay atop this ever-changing world. And with Yahoo Finance at my fingertips, I can focus on my goals of paying off my house and getting ready for, you know, me time. And since Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, they know what they're doing. It's the number one finance destination with their independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. So, for comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. General Slim had learned a long time ago. It was better to be the one attacking, keeping the enemy off balance, and thus unable to regroup. 
but between the large Japanese force steadily attacking, not to mention the enemy dressing up as Burma riflemen or dressing as civilians to get in their midst, many ambushes were carried out on the British far right, near the Irrawaddy, where Slim had been planning to send Major General James Bruce Scott of the 1st Burma Division on a flanking attack of their own. But now this built-up force had its strength and numbers reduced by regular enemy attacks. Again, Slim was left with the question, what now? The demolition of the oil fields was completed by April 16th. As this had been the raison d'etre of making a stand here, Slim had already begun pulling units back, which coincided with the disintegration of his defensive line. As things stood, while the million-plus gallons of crude oil burned, gutting the nearby buildings and destroying machinery of all kinds, the 17th Indian Division on the British left near the weak Chinese force and the 7th Armor Brigade were holding up well and retreating in good order. Not so much the 1st Burma Division closer to the river. Still, on April 16th, the 1st Burma was just south of Yan Ang Yang, heading up the road, though exhausted as they were, from the last few days of fighting. But when word reached them that not only were enemy units north of the town, but some were in the southern section of the city, waiting for the 1st Burma to arrive, to be ambushed. The tired men were re-motivated to head north in any way they could. Meanwhile, when and if the remains of the 1st Burma Division got past Yenanyang and the Japanese there, another roadblock, this one much stronger, had just been set up to the north of the Pinchong Ford, which itself is north of the town. To add insult to injury, this roadblock was established at the previous Burma Corps headquarters. But once General Slim heard of the enemy's presence, he quickly looked around to see what he had to hand to launch his own attack. Fortunately, Colonel G.G. Price was nearby with his frontier force Gurkhas, along with some West Yorkshires and a few tanks. Actually, at the moment, they were near the ford and just south of this new roadblock heading north. Slim contacted and told them to come in shooting. The successful Allied attack caught the Japanese off guard as they were still setting up, but once the fighting was over, it was reported back to Slim that many of the Japanese troops were in Burma uniforms, which only added to the disquiet among the white troops. Distrust was growing among the ranks. With this roadblock north of the ford cleared, the British unit was sent back south over the bridge. Here they ran into another Japanese roadblock, at least 1,000 men strong. Colonel Price had the enemy shelled, which did some damage, but by now they were too well dug in and could only be dislodged by close-quarter combat. Yet at the moment, Price's men were exhausted from the previous fighting, low on ammo, and had lost too many vehicles to air attacks to launch a new attack. As the enemy was left in a strong position to the north of the oil fields and just south of the ford, the tide of battle seemed to be turning away from Slim. That is, until he was told 
the Chinese were coming. Coming down from the north was the 113th Regiment of the Chinese 38th Division. In truth, the entire bloody division was supposed to be attached to the regiment, but wasn't. Why? Slim was about to get his first taste of Chinese culture with all its complexities. Leading the 113th was Regimental Commander Colonel Liu Fangwu, who spoke no English, but the British liaison officer with him was fluent in his language. When word reached Slim of his rescuers, he drove north to see the commander to give him an update and how they could help each other, namely for the Chinese regiment to go in fighting so the British-led forces could retreat to the north. At this, the regimental leader's eyes narrowed slightly, as he had been told to be on the lookout for such a sacrificial suggestion or order. Technically, this colonel was under General Sun Li Jin, who was under General Stilwell, who had placed himself and his under General Alexander. But as we have seen, the Chinese were firm believers of layers. What General Slim could not know was that there was a legend swirling around General Sun Li Jin. And it goes, when he was a boy, he had a dream of building a strong army. And with one victory, he and the men with him would gain the respect, dignity, and equality that China deserved. Which may or may not have happened, but it's probably closer to the truth to say that Sun wanted revenge against the Japanese after his force was badly mauled in Shanghai, and Sun himself had been near death. Shaking hands, Slim could see that this colonel was a slight but solidly built man. As he did not have time for the niceties, General Slim got down to business. First, he told Colonel Liu, I have trucks ready to go, so I want to bring down as many of your men as possible hopefully the entire regiment, and then send the trucks back up here to grab any additional troops that are coming. The commander did not rise to this bait. Clearly, Slim was hoping he would say, oh yes, the entire division is on its way. It wasn't, so the man said nothing. The British general continued, slightly crestfallen. On the morning of April 18th, I want your entire force to cross the ford and engage the Japanese. Yet, what Slim could not know was, at that moment, the 1st Burma was currently swinging around Yen Ang Yong to the east, avoiding the ambush just south of town, but not realizing that their new position between the town and the ford among the oil rigs would put them in between enemy forces. They were soon to be trapped, but closer to a possible rescue. This attack, Slim went on, would allow the weakened 1st Burma and any other stragglers to head north and cross over the ford to safety. The regimental commander seemed to have grasped the plan, so Slim finished with, Then let's get moving. To this the commander said, But I cannot, not until I specifically hear from General Sun. Slim, who didn't have time for this, replied, but General Stilwell put General Sun under my command 
so you don't have to check with him. Yes, the commander said, and I will move out just as soon as I hear from General Sun. According to Slim, this circular conversation went round a few times until the British general got to the point where he would have cheerfully shot the colonel with his own pistol. As they were talking, and Slim, at least in his mind's eye, was reaching for the gun, word came from Sun to follow Slim's orders. As they walked out of the building, Slim realized he had just learned a few things. First, the concept of time was different for the Chinese, more fluid. To attack at 8 o'clock could mean 4 or 12 o'clock. It depended on variables. Next, having fought the Japanese alone since 1937, the resource-poor Chinese would steal anything that wasn't nailed down. And lastly, face. Face was the most important thing to these people. Though Slim knew he could not fully appreciate all the nuances of face, he remembered to treat the Chinese with respect, allow them to save face, which came down to, most times, giving them a way out of something that did not require humiliating them, which made progress possible. Later that same day, April 17th, General Sun himself, the man of possible legend, arrived. As he spoke English, having been educated at the Virginia Military Academy, he and Slim quickly went over the plan. And having learned something of face, Slim then told Sun, who had no tanks or artillery, that the 7th Armor Brigade would be under his direct command. General Anstens blanched, but Slim shook him off as this was the first time in British-Chinese relations that a British unit would be under a Chinese officer, Sun's face, figuratively and literally, expanded. As things stood on the night of April 17th, the Japanese still had several roadblocks, one just south of Pinchong Ford, another within Yan'an-Yang itself, and a third along the Irrawaddy, as their boats with troops on board, had just come up the river. That night, Slim reached General Scott, leading the 1st Burma Division the only way he could, from Tank Brigade Headquarters to a small tank signals detachment that Scott still had with him. Between using common phrases that both men knew, having worked together for years, and words or phrases of the Gurkha, Again, having worked with those soldiers for years, Slim told Scott of his plan that hopefully made no sense to the Japanese who had to be listening in. The idea was for the first Burma to head north to get the attention of the enemy roadblock just south of the fort. With this distraction, the Chinese regiment, backed by the tanks of the 7th Armored Brigade, would dash across the bridge and hit the enemy in the rear. Further, to make sure the British troops did not shoot at the Chinese, the latter were told, whenever they came upon Slim's men, or vice versa, to stick their caps on the end of their guns and raise them high into the air. It was the best that could be done at the moment. As the attack got underway early on April 18th, Slim could not help himself and told General Sun, that it was imperative that Colonel Liu 
push his men hard to hit the enemy, or else this was all for nothing. To this, Sun, remember legend, took Slim close to the fighting, a little too close for Slim's liking. They went down to company level. The Brit could only imagine the anger that would emanate from Alexander if he got himself killed. But now Slim's face was on the line. The British general calmly walked next to Sun as they watched the Chinese regiment engage the enemy. The Chinese regiment crossed the ford and hit the enemy, clearing the north bank. A good start. Yet the roadblock was another matter. Attack as they might, the Chinese found out they did not have the British tanks with them, as the soft sand of the riverbed was giving General Anston's and his a devil of a time. The Japanese there could not be dislodged. Perhaps when the 1st Burma Division, weakened though it was, hit it from the south side, that would be enough. Yet the 1st Burma was nowhere near the roadblock. They were caught up in fighting a different enemy unit within the oil fields themselves, as they were still ablaze, the air there being some 114 degrees. The 1st Burma Division had started at 6.30 a.m., and as their attack to get north had started with artillery cover, it had went well at first, yet shells were beginning to run low. Indeed, the men had been without water for the last two days, adding to their weakness. Without the artillery cover, some of the Burmese troops began to run away. Still, a path to the right, or just east of the burning rigs, was cut through the Japanese line, and some of the men began to pour through, only to find more enemy troops behind each ridge. As they did with the roadblocks, the Japanese troops were told to remain in place until dead. Hence the Allied troops, some of them Irishmen, fought for each ridge they reached. Finally, a detachment of the Inniskillings made it to the ford and saw Chinese troops waiting for them. Then the Chinese troops opened fire on the disbelieving Irishmen. Turns out these waiting allies were Japanese troops dressed in Burma uniforms. These men of the 1st Burma that had fought so hard to reach this point only to be ambushed luckily had a few tanks with them. But again, the soft sand bogged them down. The enemy's anti-tank guns focused in on them. The attack from the south on this roadblock, like the one from the north, had stalled. To make matters worse, and they can always get worse, word reached Slim that additional Japanese troops were coming into the area from the east. At 4.30 p.m. that day, April 18th, Slim got Scott of the 1st Burma on the radio. Scott, Slim knew, did not scare easy. So Slim became worried when Scott said that his men were at the end of their tether. That maybe, maybe they could hold out that night. But that was it. If help did not come tomorrow morning, all cohesion would break down. Perhaps it was best... Scott continued, if he destroyed all his large guns and vehicles now. Slim paused, 
deep in thought, and clung to the one positive thing, Scott said. Slim replied, If you think you can hold out until morning, do not destroy your equipment. Instead, I'll send the Chinese and everything else I have in the morning. We'll get you out of there. Scott replied, All right, we'll hang on, and we'll do our best in the morning. But for God's sake, Bill, make those Chinese attack. Slim then turned to his staff, face grim, but said, Well, it might be worse. Someone had the bad form to ask, How? Slim, now wanting to shoot this man, said, It might be raining. Heavy rains started two hours later. That night, the 1st Burma Division were attacked by Japanese units. They were fended off, but more Burma troops defected. Scott did not use any of his artillery shells, as he had few left and wanted to save those to fight his way out in the morning. By this point, the 1st Burma was completely surrounded. General Scott's attack was to start at 7 a.m. to coincide with the Chinese attack coming south. But at 6 a.m., Slim was told the Chinese would not be ready on time. Slim took the risk and told Scott to start at 7 a.m. anyways. No sense in his men only getting weaker with thirst. When the 1st Burma Division surged north and hit the Japanese, they found a reinforced enemy line. The 1st Burma wasn't going anywhere. As the Chinese were still getting ready, Slim put together a scratch force of tanks and West Yorkshire Regiment troops. Somehow, this unit made it across the ford and engaged the Japanese. Things were going well until they weren't. That's when a mid-level officer was told that, somehow, Japanese troops were about to hit the Allied position north of the fort. So he called back the scratch unit. Turns out the Japanese were other Chinese forces coming from the north to help out. Either way, the damage was done, as the Japanese were now free to focus on the 1st Burma Division, who were down to only 20 shells. Per gun. By now, the 1st Burma, being shelled continuously, knew it was completely surrounded. Scott radioed Slim and told him the division, what was left of it, was suffering from a complete breakdown. Scott added that he did not blame his men, and Slim did not blame Scott. The 1st Burma was going through hell. It was then that Slim was informed that the Chinese attack, scheduled for 12.30, had to be pushed back to 4 p.m. Slim went back to fantasizing about shooting everyone, but instead he walked around to see what the actual holdup was. Though General Sun was full of vim and vigor, motivated by his childhood dream, his mid-level officers, it seems, were untrained as concerning logistics. Slim stepped in to clear up the bottlenecks, including catching one rather rotund Chinese officer in a lie. The man lost face by lying, but gained it back by laughing about it. The attack was pushed up to 3 p.m. Not that this would help the crumbling 1st Burma Division. 
By now, Slim had lost communications with Scott and feared the worst. But Scott was made of stern stuff. Realizing he had to move or die, Scott gathered up what men he still had. Putting the tanks in front, the wounded in the middle, and the trucks at the end of a long column, they pushed off and tried to cut their way to the northeast. They were going to cross the ford or get to a more narrow place to cross. But as they neared the waterway, the soft sand immobilized their trucks. Transferring their wounded to the tanks, the rest were told to walk and act as an infantry guard. Then the mules they still had with them smelled the water. Their uneven trod turned into a stampede, with the British, Indian, and Burmese soldiers right behind them. As they came upon the ford, they saw armed men who were clearly not white. But not caring if they were Japanese or not, the parched men dove into the water. Fortunately, it was the Chinese getting their attack ready. Scott told Slim that their division of two brigades was down to just one of that unit. Maybe. Of course, they had practically no vehicles, mortars, or large guns with them. They, having been long since, abandoned. Slim, more relieved than he showed, assumed the Chinese attack, now that it was about to get underway, would be anticlimactic, as he had his first Burma back. Not so. The sun was about to shine bright. Having fought the Japanese off and on since 1931, the Chinese regiment fairly went berserk at the idea of having tank and artillery support that April 19th. They crossed over the ford, kept going, and retook a small village about one mile south of the waterway. The Japanese had no idea what hit them. Moreover, some 200 Allied POWs were rescued. As it was late afternoon, the Chinese regiment rested for the night, and then, as the sun rose, checking that they still had the British tanks among them and the British artillery behind them, charged forward again on April 20th. Not stopping until they reached Yen Yang itself, the Japanese had been pushed back to the town just south of the burning oil fields. The Chinese came upon the north end of the town, which forced the Japanese into whatever buildings they could find. But having regrouped, the Japanese came out, screaming as they did so. Yet the Chinese, who seemed to be screaming a bit louder, held back the attackers, once again driving them back into the buildings. That night of the 20th, Sun told Slim that he expected a heavy counterattack the next day. Slim thought about this and advised the general to pull back his men. The regiment had done well, inflicted heavy casualties, and saved the 1st Burma. It was time to think of the future. Losing many men in house-to-house fighting would not well serve the overall cause of keeping a defensive force in play. Sun agreed to this. His dream had come true. Slim wanted to let the 1st Burma Division, even before the fighting, not really a division, not in terms of men or equipment, rest for a few days 
bring in the 17th Division to him, if Alexander would let him, and together with the Chinese 38th Division, more of it was finally coming south, hit the enemy here and hard. As General Slim later wrote, the Battle of Burma may have been gasping, but it wasn't dead yet. Postscript. Reporters and civilians were also rescued from Yenang Yang, so the former spread the victorious news around the world, and Sun Li Jin became known as one of the greatest generals of World War II. King George VI awarded Sun the commander of the British Empire and the most honorable order of the bath. The United States bestowed upon him the Legion of Merit for officers. China also honored him with numerous medals. This victory also helped the Chinese get rid of the label Sick Men of East Asia. As for the Irishmen that fought, the battle honor Yen Eng Yang 1942, was awarded to the Royal Inniskilling Fusiliers and carried forward by the Royal Irish Rangers, which is now emblazoned on the Queen's colors of the Royal Irish Regiment. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. Um, Sorry for the quality of this recording, but I am outside now. I've been kicked out of my office as my daughter, who is doing her online classes, Kiki, is currently in school. But I just wanted to let the listeners know who submitted questions for the 10th anniversary show, the ones I didn't get to, the more detailed questions. I will be doing a follow-up episode to answer those questions. What I'll probably do is, if it looks like I'm going to have some downtime in between episodes, which is probably coming up soon, my oldest daughter is getting married I'll be doing a short vacation on the Chesapeake. I'll probably stick it in then. So fear not. um, Those questions will be answered and we'll get to those because there are a lot of good questions in there. Um, So I'll see you again as soon as I can with another Burma episode. But just know that that episode of answering your questions will be coming up soon. Take care, everyone.